Good morning. Well, this morning we continue in our Advent series in Colossians 1, verses 15 through 23. So we saw last week, Alex began our series by showing us that Christ is the, uh, is the mediator of God and the revealer of God from Colossians 1, 15 and 19. Well, this morning we'll see in verses 16 and 17 that Christ is the creator of all things. I'm going to read the whole passage for us again this morning, but if you have a pen or pencil, I want you to underline verses 16 and 17 in your bulletin because we'll be staying in those verses primarily this morning. Now, young worshipers, verses 16 and 17 have a phrase that's repeated, and it's all things. And I want you to figure out how many times is that repeated in verses 16 and 17. That's one of your questions in your work for young worshipers this morning. So, with those things in mind, hear now the word of the Lord from Colossians 1, verses 15 through 23. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister." The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, would you give us comfort this morning? Comfort us through the divine mystery that is Christ our creator, become a creature, become man. Lord, would you unite us to yourself through him this morning, we pray, and through your word, we ask this by the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have, you be seated. Many years ago, when I was a boy, I was given a present of a rubber band ball. And it was, probably, it was probably Christmas, it was probably a stocking stuffer. And like any boy with a rubber band ball, I bounced it around for a while, and then I did what anybody else would do, which is I started to take it apart. Because I wanted to see what was on the inside. Right? So I'm taking rubber band by rubber band off, getting closer and closer to the middle. And all of a sudden, I take one too many off, and the whole thing just falls apart. Actually, there was nothing in the center. Somebody had just kind of done it where the, all the rubber bands were in the middle and they had piled rubber band over rubber band and so I took one too many off, <clears throat> off and it all just fell apart. And I had no way to get it back together again. Maybe that's been your experience with a rubber band ball or maybe this time of year you're pulling out your Christmas sweaters that have been sitting in your closet and you see a pole in your Christmas sweater and you know the temptation, right? You just want to pull it and get rid of it but you know if you do, you're going to start to unravel the whole thing. And you could just keep pulling and pulling and the whole thing would fall apart and you'd have no way to put it back together. And yet I think that we feel this in our lives not just with rubber band balls and with Christmas sweaters but actually about our own lives themselves. That the edges of our lives have become frayed. That there are these little poles in our souls and these events of this life are tugging at these things, tugging at these strands and we're falling apart. We're coming undone. 
We're pulled apart by the many commitments that we have pulling at our time. We're pulled apart by all of life's disappointments, the stress of expectations to perform. We're pulled apart by the stress of the holiday season. Students have exams. You've got parties to go to, gifts to get, expectations and stress that others put on you, but also the stress and expectation you put on yourself. Not to mention we're pulled apart by the upheaval in the world around us with wars and protests. We're pulled apart by political division, conflicting ideologies on every side of us, false teachers and false teaching. We're pulled apart by division in our workplace, in our families, in our church, even in our own hearts. And so we feel disjointed, disconnected, and and disordered. And we look somewhere, anywhere for unity. And in Colossians, the Apostle Paul is writing to Christians who undoubtedly feel much the same thing. Now, the relational and spiritual strife we face is different than they did, but the same thing. It's not necessarily new for the Christian life. They understood the stress and strife that we often feel too. Indeed, the city of Colossae itself was awash with these things pulling at the lives of Christians. Ancient Jewish ideas, worship of angels, Greek and Roman mythologies, they too lived in a pluralistic society. They were disjointed, disconnected, disordered, and their lives were also being pulled apart all around them. And so to them and and for us comes this letter. And in verses 16 and 17, we see that only Christ can unite us, so we follow him. Only Christ can unite us, so we follow him. And when I say unite, I don't just mean person to person, but I mean your life individually and all the events in it that seem so disjointed. Christ can unite that, believe it or not. We see this this morning in three ways. Christ before creation, Christ at creation, and Christ after creation. First, Christ before creation. This is the beginning of verse 16 and the beginning of verse 17. Look with me at the beginning of verse 16. For by him all things were created. Young worshipers, that's one, all things, if you're counting. Verse 17, the beginning says this. And he is before all things. That's two, all things. Uh, Verse 16, he is, uh, by him all things were created. Now it's a simple idea, but it's this. If Christ created all things, if they were created by him, he must have been there before they were created. Think about it. It wouldn't make sense to say, for example, that, oh yeah, I made breakfast this morning, but I didn't exist before breakfast this morning. It makes no sense. Young worshipers, if you come up here to ring a bell, you have to be up here before the bell can be rung. So if through Christ things were created, he had to be there beforehand. Verse 17 makes it clear, he is before all things. Now there are two meanings to this before. On the one hand, it's a temporal meaning, but there's also a positional meaning. It's time and it's priority. He was there before creation, and so he's also there above creation. There's a position that Christ occupies that no created thing has, because he was there before You may be familiar with Ephesians 1 that says, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Which means Christ was there before the foundation of the world. Active. Or in John 8, Jesus says to the Jews around him, Before Abraham was, I am. Using the same phrase that God uses of himself in the Old Testament, which among other things denotes his own self-existence. And Christ says, yeah, that's who I am. Some of our creeds and confessions get at this language when uh, Nicaea says, before all worlds he was there. We'll use the Chalcedonian definition this morning at the table, which says, before all ages. 
In the early church, there was a heresy that Christ was actually the first of God's creations. And, and, and the heresy would say, well, there was a time when he was not. Right? But the truth is, God's word, God's word tells us actually there was not when he was not. Christ was there before creation. And so he has a position that nothing in creation has. When I think about this church that was planted just about 20 years ago, there are still people here in this room that were at New St. Peter's before it was New St. Peter's. They were in the Sunday school class at our, our mother church, Park Cities, that were actually discussing the church plant before it even was a church plant. There are people in this room who prayed for New St. Peter's before it existed. right? And so they have a knowledge and they have an understanding that those of us who have only come after can't really understand, can't really know. But we can listen to them, we can hear from them. I'm also reminded of the idea of deep magic and deeper magic in C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia. When Aslan the lion is raised to life from the dead, Susan asks him, well, what does it all mean? And he says that though the witch knew the deep magic, there's a magic deeper still which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time. Because if you know the series, she enters into the world of Narnia right at creation. But Aslan says this, if she could have looked a little further back, into the stillness and the darkness before time dawned, she would have read there a different incantation. In the same way, Christ was there at creation, but he was there before, in the stillness. He knows the deeper magic of this world, as it were. So what does that mean for us, that Christ was present before creation? What does that mean for us now? Well, it means that before our lives began to unravel, before our lives were even woven together in the first place, before all things were even woven together, Christ was at work. Christ was there. Christ had a plan. I mean, do we give him that sort of authority, that sort of position in our lives? Sometimes it can be easy to thinking that Christ just jumps on the scene in the New Testament when he's born. But actually, Christ is the eternal second person of the Trinity who's been at work from eternity past together with the Father and the Spirit. Now, all of us have this habit so often, I think, of looking back at the past events of our lives to make sense of things, and that's good, but we don't look back far enough. Often, we should be looking back before even the creation of the world to see that Christ was at work for us. But Christ was not just there before creation. Christ was there at creation. This is verse 16, the second half of verse 16. We heard the beginning of 16, for by him all things were created, and it goes on. What are these things, all things? In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Young worshipers, that's three times all things already that we've seen. He created all things. And now we, we focus not just on him being there before creation, but now he's there at creation. Creation was in him, through him, and for him, this verse says. And it says, it explains what it means by all things. It says things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. The idea here is, if a thing is either in heaven, if a thing's not in heaven or a thing's not on earth, it doesn't exist. A thing is either visible or invisible, and if not, it doesn't exist. Think about it. If, if you say, well, somebody does this night and day. So, for example, with this World Cup, sometimes people think I watch soccer night and day. But... <laughs> Obviously, that's an exaggeration, but the idea here is that you're doing it constantly. There's not a time when you're not, right? And so if, God, if Christ created all things, if they were created through him and for him, and we say in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, there's nothing that it was not created through him and for him. And then as if we're still wondering about it, it says, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, 
right? We have this list, both in the visible realm and the invisible realm. It's interesting. Many people think that this was actually a list that ancient Jews thought of. Actually, there was a hierarchy of angels, and these were some of those hierarchies, right? But the idea here is that Christ is supreme even above those angelic hierarchies because he was there before creation, and they were created through him. And this means not only does he have a position, but he also has a power if things were created through him and for him and in him. John 1.3 puts it this way, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Hebrews 1 says, Through Christ, God created the world. This isn't an idea that's just unique to the book of Colossians. No, this is actually the entirety of Scripture witnesses to this fact. 1 Corinthians 8 says this, Yet for us there is one God, the Father from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Through him. He's above all the powers of the created order since he was, everything was created through him and for him. And for him denotes the idea of a goal. The goal of creation has to do with Christ and so we can't understand what creation is for if we don't understand Jesus. Often these days, people will talk about the reason for the season, but Christ is the reason for creation. We can't understand why we're here and what we ought to be doing without that. And just as an aside, if all things were created in him, through him, and for him, it's important to note that evil was not there at creation. In creation, in Genesis 1 and 2, everything is good. Everything is very good. It's not until the fall with Adam and Eve in Genesis 3 that sin comes into the world. So Christ is not the creator of evil. But since he is the creator of all things, there's a power over it that he has. Now I think it's hard in our day and age to think of what it looks like for somebody to have creative power over something. Because we often see so many examples of it misused. Think of Jurassic Park. Think of the Terminator series, The Matrix. Think of Frankenstein and his monster. We think of people losing control of their creative power. We're almost programmed to think that anyone with power, especially God, would definitely misuse it at some point, especially because they don't always do the things we want them to do when we want them to do it. But I was actually reminded of this very fact this week when uh, my parents gave uh, my daughter an early Christmas present of a wooden shopping cart. And so I went to put it together on Thursday. And I put it all together and I let her have it for a while. And then I realized one of the wheels was loose. Now, lest you think I was a poor craftsman, the wheel was already pre-made when it came in the box. But I realized I have to fix it. Because my daughter doesn't have power over this. She can't fix it. The shopping cart can't fix itself, right? So I had to take it from her. Now, she was quite upset. She's not even two years old, so she didn't know what I was doing. And I tried to explain, like, this is for your good, right? I'm fixing this. Even if it means I have to take this out of your hands, I'm fixing it. And that's the idea. Christ, only Christ, has that kind of power over the world that we don't have. This passage reminds us that he is the creator and we are the creatures. That he has the power over all things, whether visible or invisible. This actually should lead us to take heart, even though it's difficult sometimes, because there's nothing more powerful than Christ. As many have pointed out, there's no ultimate terror in Christ. There are difficulties, yes, but there's no ultimate terror for the Christian. Now, this does mean that we have to wrestle with what we want versus what God wills oftentimes. But without that wrestling, we would just be looking somewhere else for an ultimate power. 
Even if you don't believe in Christ, you're still looking for something to have that kind of power over creation. We look to things visible or invisible. We look for power in a strong leader or power in the spiritual realm. There's there's a reason why there's become more and more interest in the occult these days. It's because people are looking for a power over creation. They can't find it visibly, so they look invisibly. But the truth is, the only power over creation, visible and invisible, is Christ himself. And even if one doesn't acknowledge Christ as Savior, the amazing thing is, is he's still there creating. He was still there at creation. There is a grace in that, that Christ created the world. Now, it's important that this doesn't end here. It's not that Christ was there before creation, and he was there at creation, and he just kind of set things up like a watch and let it go. No, Christ was there, thirdly, after creation. This is the second half of verse 17. Look with me at verse 17. It says this, And he is before all things, we've seen that, and in him all things hold together. This is the fourth and final time, young worshippers, that this phrase, the passage uses the phrase, all things. So we're looking at the second part. In him all things hold together. Whereas his work before creation and his work at creation is past, this holding all things together is not. I know I'm going to get grammatical for a second, but in the Greek it's the perfect, which means that Christ began upholding creation when it was created, and he continues doing that even now. He is still upholding. Hebrews says that Christ upholds the universe by the word of his power. Upholds, present tense, ongoing. It's happening now. Back to this word in Colossians of holding all things together. It's a really interesting word. It's actually loaded with meaning and significance for for Greek speakers. Because it was used actually in Greek philosophers before the New Testament. It was used in Plato and Aristotle. The idea is giving something a unity. So for example, the, the philosopher Aristotle speaks of a play where all the different parts in order to fit in have to be given a unity for the play to make sense, for all of those scenes to make sense. It's a fitting illustration for us this morning in a theater. But the idea here is you need a unity for all of those things or else the play doesn't hold together. It doesn't make sense. Well, what Paul is saying is Christ is the one who gives everything unity. The one who is holding things together even now. Yes, he has position. Yes, he has power. But he also has pull. I'm reminded of the conversion story of Whitaker Chambers, who was a materialistic atheist. And his story has a lot of nuance to it, but one of the things he says is that one morning, he simply walked down to breakfast and was watching his daughter eat. And he said this, My eye came to rest on the delicate convolutions of her ear, those intricate, perfect ears. The thought passed through my mind. No, those ears were not created by any chance coming together of atoms in nature. They could have been created only by immense design. You see, he began to understand that with a materialistic worldview, things can't really hold together. There's no unifying force for why there should be something as beautiful and simple and helpful as a child's ear. There has to be something greater giving a unity to the world. And he understood that, and he began to search, and he found that in Christ. He began to understand that. We're not some chance coming together of atoms, but actually we're a universe that has been given order and is being held together by Christ. Some people talk about a central loyalty in your life. But the only correct and true central loyalty is Christ himself. But it's worth asking, when we think about it, actually, what is holding our lives together? What's giving our lives unity? What's giving our lives meaning and purpose? Now, we would all like to say, I think, that it's Jesus. 
But what, that might be what we say, but what do our lives actually illustrate to be true? The decisions we make can show who we're loyal to, can show what's unifying us. The way we spend our time, the things we do even this Christmas season. What in your life primarily decides decisions for you? What in your life leads you to the places you go? There can be many things. It can be a career. It can be a spouse, a family. It can be our own pride. It can be our own pleasure. Some of those seem worse than others, but all of those are second, and all of those are wrong if it's not Christ. What is the hope that we look to when our lives are falling apart to give us unity, to give us meaning, to give us purpose, to give us help? And this idea of Christ holding all things together is actually beautiful for the totality of our lives, which means in everything that you do, Christ is there holding things together. When you're changing a diaper, when you're at work, when you're driving, when you're talking with a friend, when you're singing on a Sunday morning, in all of these things and more, Christ is giving a unity and a meaning and a purpose to it. There is nothing you do that is meaningless in the grand scheme of things. And the beauty of this Christ is not only is he the Christ before creation, not only is he the Christ at creation, not only is he the Christ holding things together after creation, this is the Christ that came to earth. This is the Christ of Christmas. The creator took on flesh as a creature. Our creator, as we heard from Isaiah, is also our redeemer. The one who holds all things together took on the very evil that rips at the fabric of his world by coming to earth. The very one who holds all things together became a helpless, defenseless child. And he grew in wisdom and in stature and he took upon himself all of the sin, all of the evil that tears his world apart on the cross. Romans 5.8 says this, you might be familiar with this, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But you know the word show in Romans 5 is actually the same word for hold together. That the thing that holds together and unifies the love that God the Father has for us is the love that is shown to us by the Son. That's actually the love that God has for us is given a unity, most specifically in Christ coming to earth. That even at his death, when it seemed like everything was falling apart, in the world. There, above all times, Christ himself was holding everything together. And because he has power over this creation with, that has been made, he has power even over death itself. And so he did not stay dead, but rose gloriously from the grave. This was God's eternal plan before creation to unite all things to himself through his Son, our Lord, Jesus Christ. You see, it is only Jesus who can save us. Because only he was there before all worlds. Only he was there at creation. It was creation through him and for him. Only he has the position and the power and the pull that could possibly hope to fit the pieces of our lives together. It is only this Christ. And church, the good news is this Christ has come. Only he with his position and power and pull can hold us together when everything in our lives seems to be falling apart. I'm reminded of the beauty of God's creative and redeeming power in a quote by a Danish Christian philosopher named Soren Kierkegaard. He said, God creates out of nothing. Wonderful, you say. Yes, to be sure. But he does what is still more wonderful. He makes saints out of sinners. That the same power which spoke the universe into existence from nothing is the very same power that works in our hearts 
The very same power that works in the depths of our wickedness and sin to actually bring us to life. It's the very same power. I'm reminded of the story again of of the rubber band ball because what did I do after all the pieces fell apart? I went and found something solid. I went and found a little golf ball, which I knew would bounce on its own, so it must bounce even better with more rubber bands on it. And I took that golf ball and I painstakingly put rubber band after rubber band after rubber band on it until my rubber band ball was complete again. But the truth is, friends, whether we know it or not, whether we acknowledge it or not, Christ is the one who's already holding all things together. And our choice is either to acknowledge that or not. And to not acknowledge it brings eternal suffering. As things fall apart in our lives, we need to trace the threads of these things back. Back to before creation, when Christ himself was choosing us, a people, for his own precious possession. Trace them back to at creation, where God, through Christ, was creating all things. Back to after creation, where Christ was holding all things together, giving them a unity, most especially when he came to earth, when he died and rose again from the dead. But also as we celebrate Advent, we must also trace these threads forward. For Christ will come once again. And when he comes, he will recreate a new heavens and a new earth. Only Christ can unite us. Only Christ holds us together. Church, therefore, let us follow him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Gracious Heavenly Father, we are overwhelmed by your mercy and love shown to us in your Son, Jesus. That the love that you have is shown forth and is held together and given unity by the fact that he came. Lord, would you help us to reflect deeply on that? Would it change the way that we live, we pray? Would you continue to be at work in our hearts by your Spirit? And Lord, would everything that we do and say give you glory and honor and show forth to the watching world that Christ and Christ alone is holding all things together. It's in his name we pray. Amen.